The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. Good morning, church. Um, My name is Brad. If we haven't met yet, um, I would love to meet you. Uh, But this morning, we're we're getting started on our uh, series on the Minor Prophets, and uh, we're getting into the book of Hosea. So if you would uh, join me in prayer, I'll start us off with prayer here. Um, Father, um, uh, we're so grateful, we're so glad to be in your presence here. Um, we, we praise you for your spirit with us. We praise you for your son, Jesus Christ. Um, and, and we pray now that we would hear your word, that you'd give us hearts to hear your word, that you'd give us minds to hear your word, um, that you would give me a voice to, to preach your word. Um, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So as we get started, I, th- I think a good spot for us to start is in, th- in thinking about what is one of the most important relationships uh, that we have as people. Uh, it's, it's between a husband and a wife. It's one of the most important relationships that we know about. Another important relationship that we all experience is the relationship between parents and children. Those are two of the most important things that everyone experiences. Even if, even if you don't know your parents, you don't have a good relationship with your parents, uh, perhaps you haven't had a good relationship with a spouse in the past, we've, we've all experienced that. Those, those bad relationships, they, they make the point about how important those things are for us because it shows us how, how difficult it is, how hard it is for us uh, when we have those types of, of relationships. And, and it's, it's not a surprise to us, right, that we've all had uh, parents, that we've all um, either seen people who have been married or, or been married ourselves. I, I'm not trying to tell you anything new in bringing that up, but the, the point is to, for, to say that, that God is trying to highlight something for us. He's teaching us something about our relationship to him in our relationships with others. He's made sure that, that everyone will understand this. Right? We've, we all have parents. We all have seen or experienced marriage ourselves. As, as we get into the, the book of Hosea, though, it's, it's not just parenting in general or, or being a good husband or a good wife in general that God's talking about. But Hosea is, is a book in the Bible because God spoke to a particular man. God spoke to Hosea in a particular time, in a particular place. And, and as, as we get into that, I think it'll be most useful for us Instead of trying to cover all 14 chapters of Hosea this morning, I think it'll be useful for us to, to focus on the first three chapters. They give us a good introduction to, there's, there's lots of different themes throughout Hosea, and the first three chapters give us a really good introduction to those themes that'll be developed and covered more and more all throughout the whole book. So, um, yeah, the first three chapters will give us our outline for today. We'll talk about God's people We'll talk about God's judgments, and we'll talk about God's love and his mercy. So in Hosea, there's, there's a scattering, all scattered all throughout the book of Hosea, there's a scattering of historical references. 
God's word came to Hosea in, in real history a little less than 800 years before Jesus was born. In Hosea 6-7, we learn that, that God, or that Adam, broke God's covenant. And, and we know that as a result of Adam breaking God's covenant, God subjected the whole world to futility. God had favor on Abraham. God had favor on this one man in his plan to set the world free from its bondage to captivity. He had favor on this one man. He promised that he would multiply his descendants. He promised that he would give him a land. And he promised that that he would bless him so that his plan would be advanced through his family. So God made a covenant with Israel then, Abraham's descendants. He told them that if if they would obey his voice, then they would be his treasured possession. But once again, Hosea 6, 7 says, like Adam, they broke the covenant. So Israel broke their covenant with God. God would, he would still keep his promise though. He still promised to Abraham that if, if each generation would walk in his ways, he would bless them. But if, if, if the people would not walk in his ways, he wouldn't bless their disobedience. So this is where Hosea starts about 600 years after God made this covenant with Israel. They've not obeyed God. In, in fact, God explaining his laws to them, God leading them, has, has really only mostly highlighted the fact that they haven't followed him. They, they didn't grasp God's mercy as a whole, as a, as a nation. Like, surely there were people in Israel who, who knew God, but God called them as a nation, as a whole, to be a blessing. They proved that, that they didn't know God, even though they proclaimed him with, with their lips. And this is where God begins speaking to Hosea. Hosea has, has had 13 kings since the, the kingdom's been divided. Every single one of them has turned out to be evil. And, and there's six more that are coming throughout Hosea's lifetime until the exile. And each of them all turn out to be wicked. This was, this was a tumultuous time of, of upheaval in Israel's history. And as we see in the opening verses here in Hosea, uh, in, the, in the first verse there, their king was Jeroboam, the son of Joash. And so in light of this, God calls Hosea to act out part of his own relationship with his people as an illustration, as a parable. Now, this is where we get into talking about God and his people. God's calling Hosea here to act out a parable at the beginning of his book. Hosea and his family are not the main characters in this book, as surprising as that might sound. The, the, the whole story that, that actually surrounds Hosea and his family is about 15 sentences throughout the whole book of 14 chapters. It's, it's kind of surprising when you think about it. If you've heard anything about Hosea and the whole story around it, um, it might be surprising to, to just reflect on the fact that Hosea is not the main character. But, but the images that, that God uses, that the images that God invokes through that parable that he's showing with Hosea, those images are powerful. And they resonate all throughout the, the rest of the book. 
God's teaching us something about how he wants us to see his relationship with his people through Hosea and his family. If we grasp that, we'll understand the rest of the book of Hosea. It will be very helpful if we can grasp what God's trying to teach us through this parable. It will help us understand the rest of the minor prophets. It will help us grasp the, the story of the Bible as a whole better. Hosea, go, take for yourself a wife of whoredom and, and, and have children of whoredom. For the land commits whoredom by forsaking the Lord. That's, that's what it, God tells Hosea to do. It's like he's saying, they've, they've forsaken God. They've forsaken me. They've forsaken me who has, has created her as a nation. So go among these people and find for yourself a wife who's sold herself into to prostitution. Go, to your, go among these people who have sold themselves into prostitution and, and find a wife and have children. So let's, let's look then at, at what, what God's communicating by speaking through Hosea in this way. In verse 3, it says that, that Gomer then, Hosea's wife, conceived and had a son. God tells Hosea what to name the boy. He says, name him Jezreel. There, there's a lot that we could honestly say about the name Jezreel, what the name Jezreel means. But, but I think the most important thing for us to understand is that Jezreel as a place had become notorious in Israel. It's, it'd be similar to, to the way we understand what we mean when we hear the word Pearl Harbor. When I say the word, Pearl, the word Pearl Harbor, everyone knows what day we're talking about. Everyone knows what happened there. That's, that's the type of word that Jezreel was. It was a day of, of infamy. Everyone knew what you were talking about when you said Jezreel. In Israel. The Israelites and their kings and rulers had they had shed blood in Jezreel. And God says, Soon, in just a little while, I, I will punish Israel. I, I'm gonna bring an end to Israel. I'm gonna bring an end to her kingdom. I'll break her bow in the very place where she has shed blood. I'll break her bow in the valley of Jezreel. So this, is, this, this name of Hosea's first child, is, it's a sign for Israel then. Hosea's wife, Gomer, again bears another child. And God told the prophet Hosea to call the second child, no mercy. And God's telling Israel that he's, he's not going to have mercy on them any longer if they won't turn back. He's not going to allow them to remain in the land. He's not going to allow them to experience the, the blessings of his covenant if they continue in disobedience and turn away from him. So he tells them that through naming this girl, no mercy. Now Gomer, for a third time conceive, conceives, we read, and there's, uh, God tells God tells Hosea to name his third son, not my people, right? Through this, God is saying to them, I, I'm not your God. You are not my people. 
right? Like, like we read in the passage in Deuteronomy, it wasn't because Israel was faithful. It wasn't because of their greatness that, that God had chosen them in the first place. It wasn't because they were righteous. But at the same time, they've, they've turned away from them. And, and so he's not going to bless them by allowing them to stay in the land. That's, it's a blessing out of God's mercy. He's, he's not going to allow them to continue in their disobedience in that way. So we have, we have Jezreel because of the blood that was shed in Jezreel, the judgment that's coming for Israel. We have no mercy because God will no longer have mercy on Israel. Not my people because they're, they're no longer his people. And he is no longer their God. Right? He, he's making the message very clear in, in these children's names, right? God, God's no longer going to allow them to stay in the land and, and experience the blessings of his presence there. But, but brace yourself, because leading up to this, right, we've had 600 and, 650 years, hundreds, centuries and centuries, generations and generations of disobedience before this word comes to the Israelites, right? God's being very patient with them. But in, in a matter of a phrase, in the matter of a word, God remembers and he recalls his promises to Abraham. He tells the Israelites that, that he will bless them. He tells them that though these things are coming, he will not ultimately abandon his people. Right? In chapter 1, verse 10, through chapter 2, verse 1, you can read God's intention for the renewal of his people on the other side of what's in front of them. The very place where it was said to them, you are not my people. In that, in that very place, it will be said to them, children of the living God. Verse 11 here reads, the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and they shall appoint for themselves one head and they shall go up from the land for great shall be the day of the Jezreel. And say to your brothers, you are my people. And to your sisters, you have received mercy. I do. We see the irony here. Jezreel, which is the place where Israel's bow will be break, broken, turns out to be the occasion for Israel's restoration. The daughter whose name is, is no mercy is, is now the sister who is told, you have received mercy. The son, who is called not my people, is now the brother who is told, you are my people, right? God, he's going to remain faithful to the covenant that he made. He's going to remain faithful to his wife. He's going to remain faithful to his children, even though, even though they stray far from him, right? Their punishment, their punishment is brought upon them not for their destruction, but for their restoration. He's disciplining them, right? Even, even though we aren't threatened by being cast out of the land by God, there's a, there's a point of, of overlap for us here with Israel, right? When, when God disciplines us as his people, it's for our good ultimately. He, he doesn't mean to, to push us away from him. He doesn't mean to, to drive us away from him. He isn't, he isn't abusive. He's not manipulative. He's not that type of a husband or a father. But he's, he's a father who disciplines precisely because he loves. 
And that's, that's a point of, of application for us to ponder and to think about here. It's a, there's a question there for us to ask. How, how well are we receiving? How, long, how well are we growing and seeing God in that light and in trusting that the discipline that, that he would give us is, is for our good? How are we receiving that? Right? Let's, let's receive it in, in hope that, that the very thing that, that feels like death, and, and in a sense is death to our old selves, in a, in a very real sense, that, that will bring us, it will bring us life. Um, so we, we can receive God's discipline in Christ as a means of, of life to us ultimately. And we, and we can take heart because in, in fact, God disciplining us is a mark of being part of God's family. He disciplines those who he loves, we read in the book of Hebrews. And, and we see that through Israel's history here. But, but that, that restoration for Israel that's on the other side of the discipline, it's, it's yet future for them. They still have to go through the exile. So in, in chapter 2 here then, God begins by, he, he addresses the Israelites in an allegory. The Israelites, the Israel as a nation is pictured as a mother. And, and the Israelites individually then are pictured as the children. God gets into some specific judgments that he's making against Israel here. Start with verse 2. He says, Plead with your mother. Plead, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. Yet she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and make her as in the day she was born, and make her like a wilderness, and make her like a parched land, and kill her with thirst. Upon her children also I will have mercy, because they are, ch- they are children of whoredom, for their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully, for she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool, and my flax, my oil, and my drink. God is, God's telling the children of Israel, God's telling the Israelites to plead with their mother, who's no longer his wife. He's, he's telling them to plead with their leaders, in a sense, to put away their whoring, put away their adultery. God, God here, this whole passage, God is, is putting Israel on trial, in a sense, for their spiritual adultery for their idolatry. He's, he's bringing evidence against them through Hosea. He's telling the Israelites if they don't turn back from their adulterous ways, if they don't turn back to faithfulness in the covenant, then, then the blessings of the covenant will be removed from them. He's going to make their, the land like a, a wilderness. It's not going to be like a garden. The land is no longer going to be flowing with milk and honey. As, as he promised when they came into the land in Deuteronomy, but instead it, it will be a parched land. Right? He's saying that Israel is going to cease to exist if they won't, and God will not bless their unrighteousness. So for God, this isn't, this isn't a legal matter per se. Like this, this is, it is a legal matter, but it's, it's personal for him. He puts it in extremely personal terms. The words that he puts in, a, in, in Israel's mouth, we just read it. I will, I will go after 
my lovers who gave me these things. All the people have followed in these footsteps. And God says, enough is enough. Turn back. You, th- you, you think that, that everything that you have call- comes from the false gods of your neighbors? You think that everything that you have comes from these other lovers? I, I'm, I'm no longer going to give you these mercies anymore. I'm no longer going to give you these things. You're, you're attributing them to, to false gods. Okay. You see that God will, will no longer bless them. He's pleading with them and warning them that this, this day, it's really going to happen. A day where, where he'll, he's going to remove the blessing of their covenant. The, the first specific judgment that, that God brings against Israel then is that he will, he will keep her from being successful in walking in the way she's been going. Verse 6 says, Therefore, I will hedge up her way with thorns, and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. She shall seek them, but shall not find them. She shall say, I will go. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband. For it was better for me then than now. And I did not know, and she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. And what, is this, what does this mean except that God's going to make it difficult for Israel to follow after the false gods? He's going to block the way that Israel has, has pursued his, her, her so-called lovers. Like God's telling us once again at the same time that, that his purpose in blocking Israel's way, his purpose in making it difficult for them is for their good. He hasn't, he hasn't cast her off to, to forget her forever. Instead, he's, he's blocking her from walking in these ways that will lead to death so that she'll turn and, and walk in the ways of life. And, and that's why he says, after she pursues her lovers and can't find them, then, then she'll come back to me. She'll know that it was better for her. His, his heart, his heart is it's desirous to share his wealth with his wife. But he's not going to bless her. He's not going to bless her unfaithfulness. And so he speaks this judgment against her in hope that she will return and that she'll be reminded of how good she had it with him. And so Hosea then speaks God's second judgment to Israel in verse 9. Therefore, I'll take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season. And I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers. And no one shall rescue her out of my hand. And I will put an end to all her mirth, her feasts, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and all her appointed feasts. And I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, these are my wages, which, are my, which my lovers have given me. I will make them a forest's. I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall devour them. 
and I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals, which she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with ring and jewelry and went after her other lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. So right, God, God here, he's saying he's gonna take back all the blessings that he's given Israel. All, everything that he's blessed her with that she's using for worship of false gods, he'll, he's, gonna return, he's gonna take those things for, from, from her. Everything, the grain, the wine, the oil. He's gonna take those things which he had given to cover her nakedness. And her lovers, won't, when they look at her, they're, they're gonna be offended. They're, they're not gonna be drawn to her when they see her in her nakedness to have pity on her. But instead, they're gonna see her as crude, God says. The blessings that she has received from God will be stripped from her. And, and not only that, but, but God also provided not just material blessings, but he provided all these, these days of, of rest and celebration for Israel that, that she used for devotion to her, her other lovers, right? She had turned these into occasions for, for worshiping Baal. And so he would, he would take these days away from her. Right? Baal worship, it, it's, it's, a lot of times, at least for me, when I think of idolatry, a lot of times what I think of is, is a little statue that you pray to, right? It's, it's, it seems silly. It seems really weird. But Baal worship is it was a, a very elaborate system. There's more to it than just having a little figure to pray to or a little statue, there's, there's ritual prostitution in Baal worship because Baal, they thought, was the one who made their crops grow, right? I think, I think you can get the connection there. That there's, there's an imitation of what they think that Baal is doing for them in their ritual prostitution. The Canaanites saw Baal as, as powerful, as accomplishing something for them. Baal is, is helping them for their crops to grow, for them to, to make a living, but what God's saying here is that sim- simply with his word, he's saying, I'm the one who's provided these things for you. And here he's saying, I'm the one who will take these things away from you. He lays waste to her vines and her fig trees. Israel thought that she had earned the vines and the fig trees from these other lovers. But God is saying that these places will be, they're going to be abandoned. They're going to be overrun. And he says that simply with his word. So God blocks Israel's ways in going after the Baals. That's, that's his first judgment. And his second judgment is that he will take back all the things that, that he's given her, that she's using to worship false gods. And, and God says, in, in what would appear to be his third and final judgment against Israel, in verse 14, therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Acre a door of hope. And she shall answer as in the days of her youth at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. This is, it's emphasizing again, God's doing this. He does this repeatedly throughout the book of Hosea. It's a, it's a repeated theme Right? That his intention in doing all these things, his intention in, in bringing these discipline and bringing this discipline and bringing these punishments upon his people isn't that they would be destroyed, 
but it, it's, it's for their restoration. And, and it's for even more than that, we'll see. And, and once again, it's, it's precisely in the place of trouble. The Valley of Acre, that, that's what Acre means. It's in the place of trouble. It's in the place of judgment. The place of trouble and the place of judgment, ironically, becomes a door of hope, God says. God, he's saying he's going he's gonna to win his wife back when he brings her out into the wilderness. He's sending the Assyrians to take his people into captivity. But from there, from that place, he's, he's going to speak tenderly to her. And she will answer him. And, and this shows us God's love and mercy even more clearly. Because even after they've, they've pursued after other lovers, at the same time, God doesn't turn his heart from them. But he, he has mercy on them in that place. He doesn't abandon them. But, and and this, is where, this is where Hosea's marriage to Gomer comes back into play. Right? We're, we're not given a lot of details about it because it is just an illustration. What, what God is doing here is, is the main point. Even, even with so few details, though, at the same time, we see, we see so clearly what God is doing here. At the beginning of the third chapter, it says, Go again, love a woman who is adulterous, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. Though they turn to other God, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. Right? That, that phrase should sound a little bit funny. Just think about, I mean, just think about it. Putting, putting cakes of raisins, putting raisin cakes in competition with God, right? That, it sounds crazy because it is, right? It, it is crazy, but that's, that's not the point, right? The point is what God will do. He will love a people who is like this. And, that, and that's, that's good news. That was, that was good news for Israel, and that's good news for us. Our God, he's the one who, he's the one who pursues. And afterwards, his, his children will come back to him. His children will return and seek after the Lord. We read in verse 5. He'll seek, they will seek after David their king. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Right? God, God isn't simply just winking at their disobedience. He's not simply saying it's not, it's not a big deal. right? But instead, we, we read in that last section right, that, that their, their disobedience isn't even the point. We read in the last section, verses 16 to 23 of the second chapter, God says he's going to be, in the end, he's going to be clearly distinguished from idols. He's, he's going to remove idols, actually. He's going to remove the idols from Israel's presence. He's going to make a covenant for his people. So the beasts of the field that overran their vineyards will be at peace with them. War is going to cease, he says. And, and they will be joined to him forever. Right? One way to put that is that, is that God is going to complete his plan to set the world free from its bondage to corruption. Look at verses, in verses 19 and 20 there. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness, in justice, in steadfast love and mercy. 
I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. One of the things that is repeated over and over again is, is how important it is to know God. In the book of Hosea, that's repeated over and over again. And Israel in chapter 8 says, we know God. We know him. But God said that they, they had spurned the good. They had, they had turned away from them. And, and that's why he's, he's disciplining them. They, they didn't know him. There were some that knew him, but as a nation, they didn't know him. And, and that's why they're being destroyed in a sense. And per, perhaps you, you've heard the phrase, my, my people are, are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. That, that's actually a quote from Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. God is saying, my people are destroyed because they don't know me. But, but not so any longer. That's what God promises in verses 19 and 20. His people in the new covenant will know him. And, and it's, in, it's in Jesus, who, who is the one head that all the people will follow, who's, who's the Davidic king who his people will seek after. He's, he's the husband who wins over the heart of his people in the wilderness when he sends the Spirit. It's, it's in Jesus, who's the faithful son who God calls out of Egypt. He keeps the covenant. He's the faithful child who keeps the covenant. He's, he's the resurrection and, and the life who will rise from the dead on the third day and, and who will ultimately take away the sting of death and the victory of death. It's in Jesus that we come to truly know God in such amazing fullness. Now, all these themes and more, the themes of, of resurrection, the themes of the Davidic king, the themes of, of the son who, who faithfully keeps the covenant, these, these themes are all found in the book of Hosea. All these themes are found there. And, and this shows us what how, how God is pointing to Christ all along. This shows us what God is, is doing with Israel all along. It shows us what God is doing with us. And so we see that what God wants, us, wants to teach us about himself. Right? We are his people in Christ. We are his bride. He's our, he's our groom and, and he's won our hearts. He's sent his son into exile into death, to die and to rise again. He, he died and rose again for us so that, so that those who, who need God to be faithful for them would be called sons of the living God. So I'll pray for us. Uh, Father, we do thank you for um, just this, the, the illustrations that you have given us that you are our faithful husband, um, that we cannot be obedient enough to earn your love, Lord. We praise you for, we praise you for sending Jesus, for reminding us that in him we have your acceptance, Lord. Uh, we pray that, that your word would encourage us this morning, would bless us, would point us to Christ. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.